relationship with God, when you think about your relationship with the Lord, don't just think about having the right ideas in your head. Okay, I check all the right boxes theologically. But ask yourself, are you united to him? Are you united? Are you in Christ? Are you, are you, what is your identity? Are you wearing the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you clothed in him? Are you happy for him to be the thing the world sees? Or are you still trying to cover yourself? Are you still trying to form your own identity? What are you in? Who are you in? To whom are you joined? And to whom are you married? Paul says, in him we have redemption. And here, I'll just let our Old Testament reading kind of sit there and fill in the gap for you. We read the story of Passover today. Because it was in the Lamb, in the shedding of the blood of the Lamb, that Israel found its redemption. If you thought that any way you were going to be able to do this some other way, you said, well, okay, the, the, the blood on the doorpost seems like a valid option. But I think I'm going to, I got an idea. You know, I'm going to try something else. No, 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 the firstborn will be dead. There was only one way, and it was the way the Lord gave, and it was through the blood of the Passover lamb. And by that work came the liberation, the redemption of the people of Israel. And so also for Paul, in him, that is in Christ, we have redemption. We have been bought from a slavery. Now here again, redemption language can be offensive because it tells us we were slaves. And again, Paul makes this point in Romans chapter 6. He says, we were by nature slaves to sin. Just like Israel were slaves to Pharaoh. It's, de it's degrading. It's humiliating. But it's the reality. We were slaves to sin, utterly helpless, and yet he redeemed us. He bought us back. He bought us out. He liberated us, if you will, from our slavery to bring us out to the promised land. And we have that in Christ. So Paul's going to, and we'll, we'll, I actually want to say one more word about in him, but I'm going to do it through the second point. All things are in him and then through him because Paul immediately jumps to the language of through. So we'll, we'll go there. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. Here's what that looks like. The forgiveness of all of our sins. And here's where the sentence goes that, again, if we're not careful, our eyes can glaze because we're like, you lost me, Paul. I, I'm gone. All right. So let's see if we can not let that happen. In him, we have redemption through his blood, just like the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. This redemption is in him, but it also came through him, through his work, whereby we have the forgiveness of sins according to. So here's how much forgiveness you have. Okay. So here's what it's according to. Here's the way it's dealt out and measured out to you. It's according to the riches of his grace. So what are the depths of the riches of his grace? That's how much forgiveness has been given to you. The good news is it is infinitely rich. It is infinitely deep, right? We cannot plumb, Paul's going to say later in this book, what is the height and depth and width and breadth of the love of God. It is infinitely deep. And the forgiveness of your sins has been dealt out to you according to those riches. As are they, so it gets applied to you. Therefore, it is infinitely deep and infinitely wide and infinitely high and infinitely 
rich. So in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which, that is now he's talking about the grace, which he made to abound toward us. So God lavished his grace on you in all wisdom and prudence. You can see how this sentence gets tough. Having, connecting verb, having made known to us. So here's what, the, here's how he's delivered this to you. Here's how he's unfolded this to, this to you. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. So God did this by no external compulsion. He did this simply because he wanted to. He did this simply because he loves you. Okay, we've already thought about this before in terms of our predestination. Okay, which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will. That is, the mystery of his will means for so long it was kept hidden. How was God going to do it? You know, the whole Old Testament, I tell my students all the time, it's like you read the promises of God and they got a big fat question mark hanging over them. Like, how? How are you going to do this? How, how do you ever bring sinners into, you know, like, again, you're fire and we're gasoline. Like, how does that, how do we ever hug? How do we ever, how do we ever come into your presence? Like, I, I, you keep saying it's going to happen, but I, I, I'm not doubting it. It's got a big question mark. Like, how? And that's the thing. The mystery of this will is now being revealed to us. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, this is how he wanted to reveal it. This is how he wanted to do it, which he purposed in himself that, verse 10, in the dispensation, the minute we hear that word, then it's like, okay, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, <laughs> it just means in the fullness of the times. In the dispensation just means in the, at the point of, the age of, the fullness of the times. Now that, now see here I should put you to the test. Because that phrase, fullness of time, is a phrase that we did consider not long ago, okay? We thought about Galatians 4.4 on that first Sunday after Christmas. I know you all would have passed. You would have passed with flying cuff. I would have said, why did we hear this phrase before? Hopefully we all would have said, Galatians 4.4, because I actually charged you in that sermon to memorize that verse. So we'll see. By the looks on your faces, you're all looking down. It's, it's good we're not quizzing, okay? We got everybody saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, now in class, I'd call on somebody, and I'm not going to do that here. Embarrass you. <laughs> in Galatians 4.4, it says, you will remember, <laughs> in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Well, Carol's got it, right? Born of a, you're showing off now, Carol. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. And Paul is saying something similar here. Okay, here was the mystery that God kept hidden, but in the dispensation, in the era of the fullness of the times. But he doesn't go on exactly the way he does in Galatians, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather, uh, gather in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Now, it's interesting, I'll just note, we won't go deep in this, we could talk more about this in Sunday school. One interesting little note here is he changes the word for time in the Greek, right? In the Greek, and I don't usually pull the Greek out on you guys, not because I, I don't like to boast, it's because I've forgotten a lot of it, okay? But 
but in, but in Galatians, the word he uses for time is the word chronos. You'll know that word because we, we, it kind of finds its way into our time, right? Something's chronological, right? Um, uh, so that, that's a word, that's the Greek word for time, chronos. And it means time. The word he uses for time here is the word kairos. And kairos means time as well, but it means a specific time. It's the way we use when we say, I hope you had a good time. It's funny we say that. Like, what do you mean? Uh, like, you know, we don't mean time like, no, we're not talking about chronological time when we say, I hope you had a good time. We mean, I hope this was a moment for you, right? That this, this was a special moment. I hope it was a good moment, right? Or, or in, uh, you know, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. We're talking about times. He's not, uh, Dickens, in, in that's the you know, opening line you'll know from Tale of Two Cities. It's not, it's not, it was the best of chronology. It was the worst of chronology. No, it was the best of moments. It was the worst of moments. But we use the word times for that. So we do it in English. We just kind of know what's happening, but we use the same words, like how we use the word love in English. You know, as we've said before, it's one word for a lot of, a wide range of things. In Greek, not so. Greek is nicer. You get different words for different appropriate loves. And the same thing for time. And Paul uses the word kairos here, which means times. And so, in the one hand, Jesus comes at the fullness of chronology. He comes at the fullness of time itself. All of time came to its head at the moment of the incarnation. But not just chronology, but kairoi, times. And think back, if we went back, and this is where we could do it more in Sunday school, but you, you kind of know it. Go back to the Old Testament and think about the Cairo. Think about the times, the covenantal moments in history, right, where God revealed what he was going to do from that moment in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the, seed of the, of the serpent. You know, so that's a kairos. That's a moment in time. We wonder, wow, how's that going to be fulfilled? And then the calling of Abraham and the sacrifice of the ram instead of Isaac, and the, the Passover is, a, is like a kairos moment. It's a, it's a moment in time that, and not only that, we stamp it. Hey, every year you will remember this kairos. You will remember this time. And when they ask you, what's this about? You'll explain to me, because this, stamp this. It's like a moment in which we'll, we'll, we'll hold on our calendar. We'll remember this kairos. And so Jesus, the coming of Jesus, yes, is the fullness of chronology, but it's it's even it's it's more special than that. It's the fulfillment of all the kairoi, all the moments in time. So in the dispensation of the fullness of these moments, there were no more moments. No more, no more question marks. Now all the moments had served their purpose and they had done their task. All of them were like get ushering in the coming of Christ, and now it was time. In the dispensation of the fullness of the times. He might gather together, and here we get the scope of the work of Christ. This isn't just about, in the fullness of times, he would make sure that you don't go to hell when you die. In the fullness of time, God would save us. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, oh my gosh, it's so much bigger than that even. In the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ things which are in heaven and things which are on earth in him. And boy, here's where I just want to encourage you. Go back and read the Colossians passage. Because in the Colossians passage, Paul is doing the same thing. He, all things find their fullness and fulfillment in him. He is reconciling all things, things in heaven 
and things on earth. All creation groans for the coming of the King, uh, Romans chapter 8. And Jesus Christ doesn't just come to deal with your sins so you can go to heaven when you die. Yes, but he is redeeming and reconciling the cosmos. Right? Everything is being brought back together. Sin is being undone and all of its effects, all of its division, uh, dividing effects, all of its corrupting effects are being redeemed and brought back together and united in him. It's worth, again, just contemplating the scope, the cosmic scope of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he might gather together in one all things in Christ, again the phrase, in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. And then right back to it in verse 11. In him we have also obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So again, out the predestining love of the Father is in and through Christ. What were you predestined to? To be united to Christ, that in Christ you might have all things. So this beautiful middle portion, the large extent of this sentence tells us that all we have, all these spiritual blessings are in Christ, all of them are through Christ, and then finally in verse 12, all of it is to Christ. And that's why I say our theology must begin and end with praise. You were saved to be something. You were saved to do something. We've already been told in this text, you, uh, last week's text, you were saved and predestined to be holy and blameless. You, Paul says in Romans 8, you were predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. You weren't just predestined, called, chosen not to go to hell. You weren't just saved from something. You were saved to something. You were saved to be something holy and blameless, united to Jesus Christ. And here we get it in verse 12 in a, in a uh, purpose statement that... Paul, this verse, remember, there's no verses in this. This is just a, a sentence that's running here. Um, so just going back to verse 11. Um, in him, we obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that. Okay, so now here's Paul telling us why. Okay, that's what the, that means. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Should be what? Just be. <laughs> that you should be to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why you have been redeemed. That is why you have been predestined. That is why you have been given this inheritance so that you and I might be to the praise of his glory. Our theology begins with praise and it must lead us to praise. And if not, then I think it was C.S. Lewis who says, then we just become more clever devils. Yeah, we just become more demonic. Even the demons know this and shudder, James says. Yeah, we don't want to be that. We, this praise, this redemption of Christ and the knowledge of it, this high, clean mountain air of high theology is meant to drive you to something. It's meant to warm you to praise. 
It's so that you might be to the praise of his glory. So there's a good challenge for us. Are we being that? Is that when, when we look at our lives, we've already thought, you know, what's my identity? But now, what do I be for? What, what am I doing with my life? Am I being to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? To the praise of his glory? Well, may, may it be so. Because all things, as Paul says, as John says in the beginning of his gospel, all things are from him, all things are through him, and all things are to him. And so may we give praise to the Lord Jesus Christ, for it is in him alone, by the will of the Father, that we have every gift of the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your predestining love before we knew you, you knew us. Before we loved you, you loved us. And by your mysterious will, you have chosen us that we might be your children. And Father, we know that you have called us to be holy and without blame. You have called us to be to the praise of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray that you would warm our hearts to praise. May we never ever be the frozen chosen May we never be those who are thankful for what you've given us so that we can be on our merry way and do what we wanted to do all along anyway. Instead, Father, may we learn what it means to be to the praise of the glory of Christ. Keep us faithful, we pray. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.